this is going to be the fifth message in the series on culture, and more specifically CCI culture. And I want to start off with a story. There was a man in Mongkok, and he started a noodle shop. And this man wasn't a particularly intelligent man. He wasn't stupid, but he wasn't uh, educated. He didn't go to university. He was just a good man, solid man, hardworking. And uh, he was a good cook. And so he, he made really good bowls of noodles and all his friends said to him hey these noodles are fantastic do the little shop so he, he got a small little shop 200 square foot few little customers at a time and he just loved making noodles he loved serving his customers he loved seeing them enjoy his food so he bought the best ingredients and he made the best noodles and when he had staff come in and work with them he didn't let them be lazy and be on their phones the whole time like a lot of us are in hong kong he made sure that they served well and he created such a wonderful culture in his little restaurant that it started to grow and, and he didn't have enough seats for his customers and people would be lining up outside of the door and uh, down the block. And he just made these, he just just loved making the best noodles. And so his friend said to him, hey, you're doing so well. Why don't you expand? Why don't you grow? And he said, oh, you know, I've never thought about it. Thank you. And so he opened up a second shop, a slightly bigger shop, a little bit more risky, but he had some capital behind him now because he created such a good environment and culture in his first shop, he was able to expand. And so he expanded and lo and behold, the same thing happened because he kept on buying the best ingredients and employed the best staff and trained them really well. And they were all passionate about making good noodles. The shop started to do well and people heard, hey, there's a second shop. And so they would queue up around that, that door and get lunch at his noodle, noodle shop. And he just did so well. And, and over a period of 10, 15 years, he, he, had, uh, he had 20 noodle shops in the middle of Mong Kok and people just loved his food. And because he financially benefited greatly, when, when his son came of age, his son went to the best university in the world for business. And he was able to pay for it all. And he sent his son and paid for his accommodation and just blessed him so that his son could get the best education. And uh, after four years, the son came back from university and said, Dad, thank you so much. You really blessed me. You, you know, the way that you've worked and you've built these businesses and, and you've, you've just cultured such a good atmosphere that you were able to fund me to go and get a great education. Thank you. He says, Dad, I, and I want to I pay you back. He said, uh, you know, I've been learning about economics and foreign exchanges, and I've been learning about economies and, and uh, how there's booms and busts and bears and bulls and how markets can go up and down. And Dad, I just want to say, like in my studies, I've learned about these recessions. And recessions are where you can lose money and lose businesses. And, and in my estimation, in my education, the information that I have, is that there's a recession coming. And his dad thinks, you know, I've, you know, I've been around for 10, 15 years. I, I've never experienced a recession. He says, yeah, well, dad, they can come. He says, wow, I, I, never, I never thought about that. And so uh, he goes to the shop next day and he's thinking about recession, recession. He's looking at all the quality ingredients that he has. And he looks at, at uh, his, his expensive staff now. And instead of seeing a really good, passionate chef, he sees a bill and he thinks, I have to pay him at the end of the month. There might be a recession coming. Oh, no. And so he starts to backpedal on, on the culture that he built. He starts to get a little bit negative and a little bit upset and, and uh, starts to cut corners. And he doesn't buy the best ingredients anymore. And his, his bowl sizes used to be ample and more than people could eat. And now he starts to be a little bit, just a little bit stingy. He makes the bowl sizes a little bit smaller. And you know, at first it doesn't make much difference and his bank balance goes up even more than it used to. But he notices the queues outside the door start to dwindle. And some of the restaurants are phoning and saying, you know, we were doing really well before, but for whatever reason, we don't know why it's not working, but uh, 
we're getting less and less business. And slowly but surely, his business starts to die and crumble. And he ends up with the one little shop, just him again, back to where he started. And he realized that the reason he was losing customers is because he stopped buying the best equipment, uh, best uh, materials. He stopped making the best noodles he could. The flavor was lost. And he lost that culture with the staff where they were passionate and loved working with him, where he was just stingy and miserable and horrible. And nobody wanted to be around him. No one wanted to buy his lunch anymore. And, you know, it's the same thing when we have a recession mindset, when we think that that something bad is happening, when, when maybe God's holding out or maybe God's not as good as we think he is. We can have a flow of life and then we can renege on it. We can be pushed back on it and we start to think that maybe it's not as good as it should be. And we start to save and we start to cut corners and we start to cut back and we start to build a culture around us that doesn't capacitate what the covenant is dictating. We start to capacitate less than what was promised. And so because we capacitate less than what was promised, we then start to confirm that bad culture with the bad results. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where the father went back to the son and the father says, you know what, son, you were right. There was a recession coming. Yes, the recession did get me. But you know, there wasn't a recession. He just established a bad culture. His culture corroded to the lowest level of survival. And therefore, he wasn't able to produce at the highest levels of what was promised and what maybe his competitors were producing. Not because of a recession, but because of a mindset, a recession mindset. His framework was diminished, so he couldn't produce what was available. So I want to ask the question, was the problem with the economy or was the problem with the culture? Was the problem with the covenant or was the problem with the capacitation of that covenant? Was he able to not produce because of external or because of something internal that he started to breed and then it started to work out of him and manifest that very thing that was limiting his mindset now started to limit the culture around him? It's a sad story, but it happens to all of us. We all go through times where we've had a promise or we've had some an expectation. And maybe there's a real circumstance where we've been failed or hope has been deferred or something hasn't worked out. The problem is when we take that experience and we now reflect it onto God and we think that he's doing the same thing to us, where maybe he's holding out, or where maybe the covenant doesn't quite work like it says it. It should, or we, or we start to, to have a limited understanding, or we try to dilute his word to make it palatable so we can, can uh, understand it better. Our information can now line up and we can now prophesy in line with this limited shrinking mindset rather than allowing our culture to cap capacitate greater than what our experience is by view of the covenant. That's why I keep on saying, You've got to look from covenant to your culture, to your customs. If you let something else inform your culture, if you let a recession mindset inform your culture, it will confirm that you were right. You will be, whatever you say your, your culture is, you are right. You will confirm that result. You will get exactly that result. But rather than allowing that to limit and become the ceiling on your life, rather look at covenant and be challenged and say, hey, why was David able to, to do that and I can't do that there must be something wrong with my culture use a, a, 
a uh, objective reference point to inform your paradigm rather than using your paradigm to inform your paradigm, rather than using your limited mindset to exactly inform the same limitation and confirm it. You've got to use something outside of yourself in order to build your culture because then you can capacitate the seed. And so last week we talked about a culture and how a culture is defined as something that you tend to or something that you grow. It's like the earth being cultivated. It's being, it's being uh, uh, looked after and plowed and sowed into. And there's, there's bacteria and insects and earthworms that are able to make their habitation, make their home so that they can breed a culture that then can produce a harvest. And we said, which is quite a controversial thought. Think about this. This is very controversial. In Psalm 78, 41, it says that the Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. They tested Him. They vexed Him. And that is, that's to say that we can limit God is, is, uh, is almost blasphemous. But you know, we're not limiting God in His power. We're limiting the flow of life from Him, which is infinite. It's limitless. He's the Spirit without measure. We're limiting that flow through to us. And so it's not that he's limited, it's that his ability in our lives is limited by us. And so in some sense, we could say that culture is more important than covenant. Or it has greater effect on production than covenant. Because there is an atmosphere around us with the gas of nitrogen. 80% of the, of the air that we breathe is nitrogen. And this nitrogen with the right culture, which happens in soil, can convert that nitrogen into nutrients for plants. And so if you have some soil that has a culture, a bacteria in it, it can produce a growth, a crop, a harvest here, but soil without a culture cannot produce a harvest. So with the covenant being freely available, and it is through Jesus, your culture will determine the harvest. It stops the flow of God flowing if you don't have the right culture. And so you've got to keep on looking at the covenant. You've got to make sure that's so clear so that you can have a culture that, that carries and produces that crop. So it's God's responsibility for covenant, and He fulfilled that. And He fulfilled His side and our side. But it's our responsibility to have a culture that can capacitate the crop that he, that he wants to harvest through us. And so we've got to do some things in order to have the right culture. And here's the, here's the funny thing. In Mark 4, let me, let me read it. Um, Mark 4. All the scriptures are in description, so you can just click on a link. Or I hope some people actually have their Bibles out and do it old school. Uh, in Mark 4, chapter 20, sorry, Mark 4, verse 26. He also said, Jesus, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man who scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how, though he does not have the information though he may not have the university education. He doesn't have to know how it works. He just knows, needs to know that it does work. So this is important now. All by itself, the soil produces grain. All by itself, the soil, not the seed. The seed is the thing that's being produced. It's the soil, it's the culture that then produces the harvest. So you can have a seed, but if you don't have the right culture, you will not produce. You can have a covenant, but if you don't respond to that covenant, faith without works is dead. There's something you need to, 
there's a response you need to embody towards the covenant that will produce a harvest. The covenant all by itself will not be able to produce. You've got to partner with it. This is why faith is so important. It is impossible to please God without faith. That is our action. That's our response. That's how we come into a partnership. There's a culture of faith in CCI that's able to capacitate what God wants to do. If we didn't need culture that responded to covenant, then let's just sit back and watch God do it. And let's see how much he's able to produce. No, no, no. He gave dominion to man and his joy and his glory is to operate through man in partnership with man to be able to produce. When Israel was in the desert complaining, bad culture, bad toxic culture. Uh, both uh, Moses said to God and God at a different time said to Moses, let's just kill them all. Let's get rid of them. And let's restart. Let's press the reset button. And Moses' response to God was amazing. He said, you know, Father, don't do this. Don't do this. Because then how will you display your glory? What are the other nations going to say? There was something about a culture that God wanted and that Moses knew that God wanted in order to display his glory to the nations. And there was something supposed to be attractive in Israel. That's why David had a heart after, own God, after God's own heart. Because he wanted to build a tent that, uh, that attracted all nations. It was a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus kicked over tables because people were disallowing foreigners to come in. And he wanted a house of prayer for all nations. There's something that's supposed to be attractive about our culture that attracts everybody. Not just the holy few, not just the little club, but that everyone goes, Hey, what's happening over there? that smell what's that saying oh what's that bowl of noodles i want some of that that displays god's goodness but without culture it's as if the seed does not exist so the soil will be able to produce all by itself the secret is in the soil you've heard many people say many times healthy things grow if the seeds there the unbalanced part of the equation is not the seed the seed's perfect it's incorruptible seed the unbalanced part of the equation the thing the variable the thing that we've got to look at the thing that is our faith response is culture can we provide a culture that will capacitate the seed so we can produce if you provide the wrong culture a hard culture a bitter culture an old covenant culture a judgmental culture then the seed won't be able to produce if people have the wrong mindset they won't be able to produce but if you have the right mindset and you don't have culture, then like I said last week, you will inoculate yourself to the very truth you're trying to pursue. You need to have a culture that can embody the seed. Otherwise, you will just become a religious uh, Pharisee who might be able to articulate the truth correctly, but you're not living in it. You've got to embody the covenant. You've got to become the hands and the feet of the covenant. Jesus did not stay in heaven and say, I am the light. He said, I'm the light of the world. He came to the world. He became the light. And just like he did that, when he sent his boys off, he said, go into all the nations. And they had to become the light, the salt, in order to display God's glory. If you don't become the culture, it's like there's no covenant. It's like you've limited God. It's like, it's, it's like he didn't die at all. So don't sit on your armchair eating popcorn all day, just watching services online. For a time, maybe that's that's fine. And maybe we all go through seasons like that. But you've got to become the culture. You can't just watch the culture. You know, when you see football games or rugby games or whatever sport, table tennis, 
And you watch those players and they're sweating and they're hitting that ball and they're running around. And then the camera will zoom from those players playing up into the grandstands and someone's with a pint of beer and some chips and they're eating a big belly, bigger than mine. And you think they're cheering and they're, and they're shouting and they're singing the songs and that's all wonderful. That's fine. But that's the difference between a competitor and the crowd. The crowd are just watching. They're just looking for some cheap entertainment. They're in the same room. They're in the same building. The covenant is freely available, just like it is to them, available, like it is to the competitor. The difference is the competitor is participating. The crowd is just watching. They're just taking entertainment value from it. And it's as if table tennis does not exist or rugby does not exist for that crowd member. Because they're just getting entertainment. They're not getting any fitness. They're not producing anything. They're not getting more skilled at hitting the ball or kicking the thing. You can't afford. You, I, I, really, I really genuinely mean this. You can't afford to be around church as a crowd member. You can't afford to just be a congregation member to watch what happens. You need to become a competitor. You need to become part of it. You need to become the covenant. You need to become the culture. If you don't, you will inoculate to the very yourself to the very arena that you are in. It's a dangerous thing to be around God, watching Him rather than in His presence, with Him, walking, flowing with Him. It's a very dangerous thing. When the Ark of the Covenant came out of the Philistines, it camped at certain places. And Jews who had a covenant went and looked at it and died. 70 people just died in one moment because they were around it, but they weren't, they weren't honoring it the way that they should have. And just like when David was taking the, covenant, the, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, you know, Uzzah reached out and touched it because it was on the Philistine cart and he died. He was struck dead. He should have known better. He was around the Ark of the Covenant. It was in his home for a long while. He should have known better, but he got lazy. He, be he became complacent. He became like a crowd member who just watched it. And so when it came time to be a competitor, he didn't know how to do it properly. Be careful when your friend or your family member is the one who's casting out the demons or praying the prayer or getting the business deal or sorting out the relationship problem. Because if they're not there, then it's on you to, to now produce that. And if you don't know how to become that culture, then you won't be able to produce the result. And then you will look and feel like an idiot. You've got to stand up. You've got to draw water from the wasteland. You've got to learn how to do it. And I hope for our leaders of CCI, you understand that you're not drawing people to yourself. You don't want to become the tap that they draw from, that you teach them to draw themselves. So when people come to you every service for prayer, we have a culture of prayer. It's beautiful. We want more people to ask for prayer. They have prayer. We want to be praying powerful prayers. But when people are now starting to use you as the tap, rather than going to the spirit, as a leader, that should be an alarm bell for you. That, that's a training opportunity for you to go, hey, stop coming to me and not go to other people because you can't come to me. You need to go to God. You need to learn how to tap in. And I will counsel you and train you and encourage you on that journey where you learn how to tap in. But don't allow people to use you as the tap because it's not good for yourself, but that's not the primary reason. It's not good for them. They've got to become a competitor, not a crowd member. They've got to learn how to draw. So the soil produces all by itself. You don't have to have the education. You don't have to have all the information. You don't have to have the, the right strategic knowledge. 
You just have to have the intuition to put that soil, that seed in the soil, and it will produce all by itself. And so the secrets in the soil and it takes time for that seed to produce a harvest. You don't just get an instant harvest. And in a, even for the soil itself, they say it takes about 100 years for the soil to be rested and for it to be able to, to re-nutritize itself, where there's nutrients are rebuilt in and these cultures are rebuilt so that it's able to sustain new crop. In fact, even part of the, the Old Covenant law, every seven years and then every seven, seven years, the Jews were meant to, Israel was meant to leave their fields fallow, which means they would plow them, but they wouldn't plant them. And so that meant that the soil could recuperate and it could re-energize it can, and the culture could get stronger. So for the next set of seven years, it could produce a greater harvest. Now, this is interesting. If you don't do that, if you don't take time to build the culture, then what happens is when you want to produce a crop, you have to artificially mimic what a culture does and so they add fertilizers into the mix and it produces sometimes on the surface of it much better crop yields and so you can get really complicated with the formulas of these artificial ingredients that they add chemically the problem with that the quality of your crop goes down even though your yield may go up and so people are operating by a lot of farmers most farmers in the world today are operating by these artificial results and these artificial flavoring, flavorings. And there's some health problems that can come from consuming too much of this, this fake stuff. And so they put a facade on the surface of it, but the price goes down because the quality goes down. I don't know if you've ever tasted real Italian tomatoes from Italy, from the valleys, uh, with those rich soils from Italy. It is beautiful. You can't substitute the flavor. You know, like Meiji's organic farm. She has real plants with, with real quality soil. This is not some fake stuff. This is good quality. And this is what happens in church all the time. You can't get the result. You haven't spent time to develop a culture. Maybe in your own life or your business or your relationship. You don't invest into a culture. You don't take time with the soil where you leave things fallow. You don't just, you're not just driving the whole time trying to get a result, trying to get a harvest. And so because of that, you find some strategy. You find some information. You find some technique to artificially officially substitute for that real time so you can get a result and hey sometimes that result looks good but you know how many people around the world are not happy with their marriage they're not happy with their church if they're leading a church they're not happy with their home group they're not happy with their business or their job life or their career path because what they didn't do was spend time developing a culture they artificially use something else to try and prop it up to give it a facade and so they feel, they know themselves, they're fake. They know there's no substance there or very little substance. But they can't afford to let their guard down to show anyone this thing is not working and I don't like it. So we've got to consistently take time, not only to assess those situations in that we feel are fake or not genuine or we are trying to prop them up. We're trying to carry the flow rather than the flow carry us. We've got to take time to assess those. But also we've got to take regular time so we never get into that pattern, that, that conforming pattern that pushes us to try and get a result. We're not going to worry about our customs or our produce. What we're, going to, what we're going to be concerned with is covenant and then producing a culture. When we're concerned about the culture, the crop will be produced all by itself by that culture. You don't worry about production. 
you worry about soil. You don't worry, but you're concerned about soil. When we make the right culture, the crop will produce just all by itself. When we're sleeping, walking around, doesn't matter if we know what's happening or don't know what's happening, you're just going to produce. And so the culture in CCI, it's not a driven culture. It's not a force culture. It's not a results metric driven thing, an environment of pressure. We need to be conscious. And if anyone's guilty of making it like that, I'd be the first to put my hands up. I'm driven and I like to get results and I like metrics and I measure things and I count things. And there's a place for that sort of stuff. But at a cultural level, we've got to take our time. Sean's going to take his time whilst he's preaching. <laughs> right now, I'm trying to rush it, trying to get a result. And it puts pressure on me to, to, to fumble and stumble over words. I've got to take some time. In the anointing, we've got to take time. We've got to take time. If you don't take time, how will you have time? How will you develop a culture? In worship, we've got to take time. I don't like this idea that we just rush through worship because we've got to get to the next thing. We've got to rush through that to get to the next thing. Part of that equation is also we've got to cut some stuff out that that takes too much time. There's just things that I, I don't want announcements. The City Church, I just don't want to be an announcement-driven church. Uh, I don't want to take time on announcements. We can have many other formats of announcements and there's value there. But let's take time worshiping and let's take time in the Word. Let's take time in the anointing. Let's let that anointing massage in. Let's let that culture, let's let the ground lay fallow so that that culture can be established. Guys, don't rush to, to, to leave church as soon as you can. Don't try and get in the doors as late as possible. Take time. Come a little early. Don't worry about your seat uh, and trying to get someone to book your seat because you're always going to be late and you just want to get, get here as late as possible and leave early. Take some time. Take some time to chat to people. So that's one of the biggest problems I have is I want to get through things. And so it hurts me and I artificially get fruit because I'm rushing, I'm rushing, I'm rushing. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. I'm not being, I'm not being. And so and then I'm not happy with the fruit. Every time in my life I've followed God and taken time and obeyed His timing and gone to the land that He shows me rather than me trying to get to where I'm showing Him. Every time I've done that, I've been so fulfilled. I've been so happy with the result. And every time I do things my own way, I get hurt. I'm in pain. I get frustrated. And then I blame God because I think, why did you bring me here? And he'll say, I didn't bring you here. I didn't take you down this road. You thought it best to go down this road. Your education and your intelligence brought you down this road. How's it working out for you, Sean? I'm sorry, Father. What an idiot. Let, let me repent. Okay, what do I do now? Okay, you need to give that thing up. You need to... to, to Stop this thing. Oh, but God, it's going to look. It's going to look on the outside. Give it up. I didn't tell you to pick it up. Okay, good. So you get rid of those facades. Part of the reason I have a beard is because I don't want to be image conscious. So I'm doing something that makes me look a bit weird because uh, <laughs> I don't want to conform because God's taking me through a process where I'm, I'm being delivered of the fear of man. I hope we're all in the process of being delivered of the fear of man. Because man wants to put pressure on you. Man wants to get a result. Or man wants to use you. Or man needs something from you. And so when you take time, it goes against what they want. And sometimes God will put you in a moment where he expects you to take time and give you the option not to. Because that is the qualifier for whether he can produce the next level of crop in your life. And if you don't take the time, if you don't sit on the handbrake and just go, hold on, I'm taking my time. Then you're not qualified for the crop that he wants to bring you. It's faith and patience that inherit the promise. It's not just faith. So when we develop that culture, it takes time. 
You're not going to get a crop tomorrow if you planted a seed yesterday. And the bigger the seed and the bigger the crop, the more time it takes. And so I'm preaching to myself more than I am to anyone else. But to anyone who's listening who thinks there's any value in this, take time. Take time every day. Take time uh, regularly, whether it be every couple of months where you take time to assess things. Take time to get in God's Word. Take time to get into an atmosphere of worship. Culture takes time. I want to say one of the most important values for CCI is time in the anointing. We need to take time in it. We're coming back soon. Next week, we're going to take time in the anointing. We're not going to rush. It's not going to be we get to a certain level of worship and now we just prophesy because that's the next thing to do. We will do that. We love that. But there'll also be moments where we just take time in the anointing. If you want to right now, press the pause button. You have that option on YouTube. Press the pause button. Just lift your hands and say, Father, I want to take some time now. Just bless me. Just let your spirit come. Let your anointing flow. Take five minutes. Take 20 minutes. Take two hours. Just take some time in the anointing. And as that time is invested, the culture is being transformed. You're not being pushed around by these other things. There's a culture that's coming out of your, your spirit where he's starting to flow and he's starting to give you the right ingredients to start to transform the things he's made freely available into nutrients for a crop. Take time. Don't rush finding a marriage partner. Don't rush signing the business deal. Don't rush to the next song and worship. Don't rush to the next scripture. Don't try and stop this idiotic idea of trying to read through the Bible. Stop it. It's nonsense. Don't try and read through the Bible. Just try and read the next verse and meditate on that. Don't worry about getting through all the books. It's some religious outward action. Take time. Sometimes I'll read one verse for three weeks. I just, I just won't, I can't get past the verse. And I don't want to get ahead of God, so I just meditate on that verse. Other times you can consume whole books in a, in a moment. Just take time. And in that flow, he'll show you where to go. Just like when he called Abraham, leave your father's country and go to the land that I will show you. He invited Abraham into a flow. And Abraham said, yes, so I'm coming along on the journey. And he got into a flow, even though he didn't know where he was going to go. And God showed him on the journey. When Moses brought Israel out of, of captivity, the Bible says in Hebrews 8, it says, it's, when I do this new covenant, it's not going to be like the old covenant where I have to take them by the hand, like a naughty child throwing a tantrum. They take them by the hand and bring them into the promised land. Like this, this really bad, toxic environment, bad, toxic uh, uh, culture where Israel is no longer calling the promised land the land flowing with milk and honey. They're calling slavery the land flowing with milk and honey. They just completely perverted it because they wanted quick, short results. Oh, leeks and garlic in Israel. Let's go into Egypt. Let's go back there. God's saying, no, it's going to take time to bring you into a new covenant. So don't put this pressure mindset, this performance-driven mindset on yourself. And we all do it. I do it. Isn't that funny? Besides, I mean, Rob's been preaching this beautiful grace message for over a decade, uh, 16 years in, in Hong Kong. And I've listened to, I think, more than most people on the planet. I've listened to those messages. And still, I put pressure on myself. And still, I get performance-driven. And still, I don't take some time sometimes. You can't be around the gospel. The gospel's got to be in you. It's got to flow through you. And the more time you take and the less pressure you put on the facade and the mask and the cover-up and the, the plastic surgery job, the more you just let, allow the natural culture to manifest, the more beautiful it is and the more genuine the crop is and the more 
beautiful the scent and the flavor is. Uh, like those Italian tomatoes on the in the countryside. You get some real flavor. I hope major you're going to bring some organic veggies to church next week. Um, you got to take time. I've been in Hong Kong for 12 years. And I still don't understand the culture. I still don't know what's going on. Uh, sometimes things will happen. I'm confused. I'm going, why did someone do that? Or did I offend them? I don't even know what I did. Do I, but they're acting weird. I don't know what I did. It takes a lot of time to get used to, to culture. And I'm sure I've offended people not even knowing that I've done it. And I don't even know how to fix it because I didn't know what happened. I'm sure that happens. It takes time. I, I speak so little Cantonese, even though I've been here 12 years. Culture is something you develop on purpose. It's something you, you develop intentionally if you want it to be a good culture. And you take time to develop it. So these cultures that I'm announcing over the last week and, and we'll continue to talk about, these are not things that we're going, okay, what do we do now? What do we do? What do we do? Culture is who you are. And who you are is transformed in time. It's not something that you just flick a switch. Okay, okay now we're this now. That's nonsense. That's why I've taken time in announcing this series and, and massaging certain sections in and recovering certain sections. Even though academically it might be quite boring for some, it's important to massage this in. It's not about the amount of air time. It's the amount of hot time that it has. And the more it massages in here, the more the culture becomes clear. It's not about adding other elements into the mix in order to change your culture. It's not about trying to do more actions. It's actually about leaving certain actions. It's like the woman in John 4. The Samaritan woman in John 4. When she came to the watering well, she had a purpose. She had an intention. She was going to draw water from the well. And she had to leave her watering jar in order to step into her destiny. In order to go to where she was called, she had to leave something old behind. Her very purpose up until that point was to draw water. She had to leave it behind. And so we're asking the question, what do we have to do? What is culture? No, culture is who you are. And then out of who you are, you'll do some things. But in order to do the new things, you need to leave the old things. Remember Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? It springs up waters from the wasteland. We've got to forget something. We've got to leave something in order to step into the new thing. The very definition of step is to leave an old security, an old foundation, something old and leave it behind. Use it to propel you forward into something new. If you don't leave the old behind, you're now stuck. Jesus said, if you sew a new patch onto an old garment, something's going to break. Something's going to give. You can't mix these two things. You've got to leave the old thing to come into the new thing. And that's what trips us up, figuratively and literally. If you're not prepared to leave the old thing, you can't step into the new thing. And you might be crying out and saying, God, I'm doing the new thing, doing the new thing. The covenant, the covenant. He's saying, well, you haven't left the old thing. And so you can't be fully the new culture the new covenant culture because you're still living with a little bit of the old so people will not leave their family they won't leave their old cultural mindsets some people won't leave idol worship they'll be on church at church on a sunday but they'll still be idol worshiping in the week <laughs> or they'll listen to their pastor on a sunday and then their mother complains at them don't read your bible so much or don't talk about jesus or you know you just got to worry about money you must, mustn't worry about jesus and so they listen to that and so there's these two worlds and neither of them are working You've got to leave something in order to come in to a new culture that, so that you are the new culture. When God interacted with Abraham 
the father of faith. We are children of Abraham. If you're of faith, Abraham is your father. And in order to bless him, he said, Abraham, leave your father's household. Leave your father's country. I want you to leave that behind to bring you into something new. And only in the new place did the blessing manifest at greater degrees. He could have had a, a measure of financial blessing in the old place, but he wouldn't have been the father of many nations unless he stepped into the new place, leaving the old. If you're not prepared to leave old mindsets, if you're not prepared to leave family members, if you're not prepared to leave finance, if you're not prepared to leave limiting mindsets, recession-based mindsets, whether spiritually or physically, then you can't fully enter into the new covenant culture. You can't be the culture. You're going to be stuck. There's a story in Mark 10, the blind man Bartimaeus. He's sitting in Jericho and uh, Jesus comes into town and the crowd's there. You know, the guys from the grandstand, they're all going, yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But they're not partakers. They're just watching Jesus perform, but they're not, they're not the culture. They're just a crowd. It's terrible to have a crowd and not a culture. And so blind man Bartimaeus is saying, Jesus, you son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And you know what the crowd does? The crowd says, shut up. Stop talking. Be quiet. Get in the corner. Behave yourself. Don't you know that you're blind? You have no part in, in this. Just shut up and disappear into the background. And fortunately, Bartimaeus saw something in the covenant that was of much greater value than the words of his peers, than the words of the culture around him. And he said, no, 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 son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And he kept on calling out. And Jesus could hear there was something ripe in the culture of his heart. And so Jesus said, hey, bring him to me. He's calling out, bring him to me. And then it says something very interesting in Mark 10 verse 49. It says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up <laughs> on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus had a cloak, had a coat that identified him as a blind man. And I'm sure you've heard this story many times before. But that gave him begging rights. That gave him his charity uh, certification so that people could give him money. And as he was wearing that coat and Jesus called him, he had to leave that old identification, that old anchor, that old crutch in order to come to the new thing. And when he came to the new thing, still blind, but able to see, that's when God gave him his sight back. Many people are waiting for God to give them their sight before they'll come to him. And he says, no, call him, bring him to me now in the state that he is. And as he did that, he intuitively knew, I've got to get rid of my begging rights in order to position myself for the new thing God wants to do. He became the culture before the harvest and when the opportunity arose and he was the culture the harvest was instantaneous what's interesting about that is the crowd did not see it the crowd wanted him to shut up the crowd wanted to push him around and keep him quiet and jesus saw that there was something ripe and available same thing happened with the woman at the well the boys were saying why are you talking to her try and shut him up culture was trying to jewish and samaritan Culture and competition try to shut Jesus up. 
And he didn't shut up because he saw that there was something ripe and available in the culture. So I, don't, I want to encourage you. If on the surface of things, it looks like people are judging you or trying to shut you up or you don't have the right credentials or you don't have the right education or you don't have the right background. If you get the right culture internally, if you can carry the right culture, if you can become the substance of the covenant, then God will call you out of a crowd. He will call you even if you don't have your sight to give you sight to call you onto mission. Do not be discouraged by this facade. Many people are walking around like they've made it, like they've got it together, and they don't. It's just a pretty picture that they paint, and it's not even that pretty. When you live from the inside, when your opportunity arises, you would have taken the time, and you would have been ripe, and the harvest will be ready. Leave those old mindsets to come into a new mindset, to be the new culture. So in closing, I just want to define the three cultures just a little bit more. And just to recap, the three cultures of City Church are we are a family, we walk by faith, and we are kingdom builders. And I want to talk about why those three cultures are the, the ones we, we're looking at and the ones that we want to manifest and why we've described it that particular way. I think the reason why we are a family is the first culture is that if we are going to be doing this thing as SAS troops and we're going to be special forces and we, we are going to uh, treat this like we're an army and we're just going to run in, then the end goal becomes more important than the person. And Jesus died as a personal savior. He died for you and I. He loved us. And so if we don't see ourselves as having value at an individual level, that Jesus actually had a value for the Samaritan woman or for Bartimaeus uh, or for the disciples and called them by name and, and handpicked them. And, and he didn't have a value for his mother or, or all these different people or God for, for Abraham. Then everyone's just cannon fodder. Every, everyone's just used for the mission. And I mean, number one, I don't want to be part of anything like that. That's just the truth. I don't want to just be cannon fodder. I don't just want to be a number in a machine. Uh, I, I have value. I, I have, I have a, a personality. I have character. God made me that way. But number two, I just don't believe it's, it's godly. I don't believe it's godly just to use people for a mission. And whilst there are aspects of the church where we are an army, absolutely. One of the major positives for an army is people see each other as brothers. And I remember my dad saying his best men and the people at his wedding were, uh, were people from the army. The brotherhood is what makes the army work. You treat each other well and you run into battle. You don't leave any man behind and all of those, those good things. Uh, it's, it's the family aspect of army that actually carries people through. And so we're family first. That's our first culture is so, so important. What it means is that no matter you, whether you're the least or the greatest, you have a seat at the table. God has invited you to his banqueting table and you get a seat no matter what you've done, no matter how naughty you are, no matter, no matter how dirty you are, no, much, no matter how much you smell uh, of the stench of pigs, you are invited to the table. Everybody gets an opportunity to step into his presence and to be loved by him and to be loved by us because we're his people. And so that is the starting point. If that isn't the foundation, then this thing, this whole church game becomes just a business. It becomes a facade. And even if you have good intention, oh, we're going to win the loss, we're going to do this. What are you winning the loss to? 
if it's not a family. God sets the lonely in family. Psalms 66. And so, you can't tell me that you have a heart for the lost unless you have a heart for, for family. Because they're lost because they need to come in to family. It is the, the starting point. When God created man, he then created a woman. They became a family. They had children. That is a family. That is the first pattern. That's the first principle of how the blessing flows into the earth. It's through family. When God blessed Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you and all nations or all families through you. It was through family that the best blessing came. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's family. And so even Israel was divided into 12 tribes or 12 families. And Jesus got his lineage from certain families. There is a blessing that comes through family that you can't avoid. And I've said this before, and I really genuinely mean this. Family is the greatest blessing or it can be the greatest curse. It's where you get your biggest wins and your biggest losses. And so a church culture that doesn't embody some element of family uh, is not really a church. It doesn't exist because the church is not the building. The church is the people. And what better representation of people having a relationship than family? So that is our foundation. That is our starting point. It is we are a family. And that I think is every is, is very easy for people to understand and get on board with and see that that is an important CCI culture. Then I want to talk about the third culture before we go to the second. And the third culture is we are kingdom builders. If you have a family that wants to produce and it just produces within itself, that is called incest. You do not have sexual relations with your sister to produce a child. That will produce deformity and dysfunction and destruction. It is illegal in every country in the world to produce within your own family. You need to go outside of your family to produce. So you can't just have a culture of family. You need to build a kingdom that invites the lost into the family, but it's producing out there. If your business, family, church, whatever you're involved in, only has a vision for its own family, and just this, the little clique, the little club, and no one else, there's something corrupt about that. There's something incestuous, codependent about that culture. You need a culture that is inviting and is an advertisement for the glory of God that is bigger than just yourself. So whilst we have the first culture, which is a culture of we being a family, you have to have a kingdom building culture that builds the kingdom beyond yourself. There's an apostolic element to that. The apostolic means to go beyond yourself. That's why we need apostles in the church because they... they Take people from trying to just survive in a little club and look after each other to having a world vision where they want to expand and go beyond and reach nations and have missionaries and evangelists and all of that stuff. You need to go beyond yourself. If we just had family as the culture, then let's not advertise the church. Let's not tell people that we exist. Let's just have a little Sunday morning committee club and let's all just love each other. And as Rob says, look at each other's nasals and, and we're just going to bless each other. And that's it. it. Well, it's not blessing. The definition of blessing, Genesis 1, 28 says, I want you to be blessed, to multiply, to fill and then have dominion. There's an unfolding dimension of the blessing that goes not just from being multiplied to filling to actually having dominion over arenas and spheres. And so the family is supposed to be the first place where the blessing flows, but then it's supposed to be go, go beyond the family. I will bless you 
and then bless all nations through you. So it's something that the family capacitates. We become their culture. We look out for each other. We love each other. We care for each other. No one's just cannon fodder. No one's just being used to get the mission done. No, we love each other regardless. No matter what people do or do not do. They are loved. They are accepted. They, as Rob says, they belong before they believe and behave. That's family. And then on journey from the least to the greatest, everyone then comes through the progression where now they, they actually start to produce the kingdom, where they build the kingdom. You don't have to give uh, and contribute to be invited to the seat of the table. But as you mature in the kingdom, mom might ask you to wash up some dishes. Dad might ask you to help to do the barbecue. There's certain responsibilities that you step up into that's part of a family that then builds the strength and the culture of that family, which is to build the kingdom. And part of that, that kingdom responsibility doesn't negate family. It actually it highlights and amplifies kingdom building in family and vice versa. Because now you have people with different ranks and different responsibilities who are now encouraging others to come up to other levels. Not pushing them down, not telling them they're, le they're less so they can be greater. That, that actually in a family sense, they encourage these people to go further. So you get this complementation, this amplification of kingdom builders and a family working together. And the middle, and I'm, I'm going to call it the second culture, but it's not the second culture in the sense that it's second in rank. It's the, it's the second culture in the sense that it's the second in the list, but it's actually the meat in the sandwich. It's the filling in the sandwich. It's the binding agent. If you're going to make cake, you use sugar and flour and egg. Egg is the thing that makes this whole thing work. And the second culture is we walk by faith. And so we walk by faith means when we have a situation that comes our way, we don't handle it by reaction. We don't handle it by the things that are around us or peer-to-peer understandings we handle it by faith we look to heaven and say god how do we handle this we look at impossible situations and we call them not as though they were we we, we see things at a different level uh we not we walk not by sight but by faith for it is impossible to please god without faith we have a faith covenant there's a faith response to the world and the environment around us uh that supersedes the response that others without a covenant can enact and so we walk by faith connects to kingdom building. We don't just build kingdoms by themselves. It comes from a response to faith. And we're not just a family like any old family. No, there's, there's a faith element to this family. And the faith element actually enlarges and grows the family. And so this connects these two seemingly opposed forces of family and kingdom building where we just we are and we just love for who we are but then there's a responsibility we have we have rights in the family but then we have responsibilities in the kingdom and there's this reward element in the middle this faith culture element that unifies and and brings together these three cultures on the journey you can't just have one of these elements in play that's why i mean i try to reduce this down to single sentences and i couldn't you can't simply oversimplify this thing otherwise you lose certain elements you've got to have a family element a faith element and then a fruit fruit element in order for a church to to, to function and so i'm not the church expert uh <laughs> there's many better people than me that have written big books on this and read and and preach series on this but uh in speaking to peter power who's really been wonderful to rob and i and uh really advised through this process. And when I talked to him, he's got five cultures. He said, I said, I said, Peter, 
I've only got three cultures. He said, that's fantastic, Sean. Three is better than five. People can remember it. And he said, you know, in each of those cultures, there's certain elements that people will pick up intuitively. You don't have to actually say what the culture is. This is not the rule book, def rule book definition. This is just a helpful guide. And people will place in, where does giving fit in? And how do we do this thing? And how do we do that thing? My main heart in trying to define this and put some words around already what it is, is that people have some sort of handle on how to capacitate God's word and not a rule book in which they filter his word. That actually this helps to take away some of the other nonsense. This is why I keep on saying it's not important that you have to read the whole Bible through. It's, it's, it's just not going to help you. How is that building family? How is that operating by faith? And how is this building the kingdom? It, it doesn't do anything. What I am saying is spend some time in the word, whether it's one sentence or a whole chapter or a whole book. That's not important. It's the fact that you spend some time. And so that, that culture that we develop is not a filter for the flow. The culture we develop is supposed to keep the dam walls away. It's supposed to keep the riverbank strong so that there can be a continual flow and it's never clogged up. Theology is great. It's just, it's just not the source of the flow. It just keeps the flow moving if you've got the right theology, if you've got the right covenant. And so I'm not trying to overdefine this. And, and I'm sorry if somebody's saying, well, what about this, this, and this, and this? They all fit in there. And we'll make him fit. It doesn't matter. <laughs> What's may, what really is important is that as the ship, and I do see the church as a ship in some elements, uh, as the ship goes to certain de uh, destinations, we've got an ability and an opportunity to choose the location that we go to. And I believe it's already set with the location that we're heading. But we will not get there unless there's a culture on that ship. There's an order on the ship. There's a, uh, like a Abraham had his house in order. So he had 318 trained men to go and fight the enemy. When his family was under attack, he was prepared. He was ready. Uh, he had done some, th some things in secret so he could defend his family. He could go and build the kingdom. So when that ship is in order, it doesn't matter the destination that we go. We're actually able to get there. Some people just want to choose the destination. Then they don't want to do the homework. They don't want to build the culture that allows you to get there. I would rather take 10 years to get to the destination with the right culture. than try and speedboat our way through and rush this thing. And try and get to the destination. And everyone's half broken and everyone's half dead. And people are complaining and people have fallen off the ship. And there's been mutinies and there's blood lying all over the deck. No. I would rather stay in dock. I would rather never leave the harbor and get the ship right, get the culture right. And I believe that's Rob's heart too and has been in the past. But as we set this, this thing in order and as we define this culture, you may find, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. Or what about that? And we can, we can talk and we can work through these things. I hope there's some things that I've said that have conflicted with you and made, made you think. You don't have to disagree, but made, just made you think. What? Why? How is that? Are you sure? Those are good things to ask. And as we work that culture out, and as we on the journey have conflict and have difference of opinions, and well, we should do it this way, no, we do it that way, that as that becomes more clear, as the culture becomes more confident, then the ship gets more and more order. And so whatever decision, whatever destination we decide to go to, we're able to. To get there whether it's next door or across the other end of the globe we're able to get there because our house because our ship is in order 
And so as as I'm now gauging and I'm looking and, and uh, I'm chatting to Robin, I'm chatting to Peter, I'm chatting to different people, I'm looking at potentially some of the, the ways that we could build these cultures. And I'm going, I'm just being honest with you. I'm going, I don't want fakery. I don't want facade. I don't want fake fertilizers that give us cheap growth. And I want to rip away anything that gives us an illusion of fruit that's not really there. I would rather be a small little up in the attic type church with just a few of us, just a hundred of us, than some big mega church that none of us are enjoying. That we're all working hard to keep propped up and make it look like it's something. Let's just do what God says. Let's just live out of the covenant and provide that culture. And he will grow us to the degree that we can capacitate. In his blessing, he won't overburden us with things that we can't handle. And in those environments, we will see great miracles. We'll see, see uh, uh, effortless relationship health. We'll see business growth. I want financial health to be all across everybody. I want to do financial training and financial groups in City Church. Um, because it's good to have a healthy family. But also, it's good that the kingdom can be built. As well as there's an element of faith that says, okay, God, show me about your covenant and the riches available so that everyone can come up to a new level of financial prosperity. But across the board, health, wealth, family, uh, um, uh, church meetings. Let's have great church meetings. Let's invite the lost. Let's invite guests. Let's hospitality. All these different things that we're going to do and have been doing for many years. I want to make sure that it's under that banner of culture that it's it's under that those same culture so that whether you look at this department or this arena or this team or this section it all has the same flavor it all has the same culture we're all going together on the same journey i don't want it to be that this team the worship team is in trouble and they've got different ideas and there's constant conflict and this team's singing beautifully and everything's working wonderfully we're all on the journey together and so there's a little bit of administration and strategic uh, uh, there's a strategic nature to a lot of these elements. But for the most part, I've got a one-step strategy. You ready for the one-step strategy? I just want to spend time with people. I just want to have lunch with people. I want to eat a lot of food. I want to get fatter. Uh, <laughs> and, and so f for us to, to develop this culture on journey together, and especially with this location shift, especially with uh, this leadership shift, especially with some of the turbulence, you know, the pandemic and the protests that have happened in Hong Kong, I think it's important for us to just build the right culture. And in that right culture, all these other things, which are good things, beautiful things, are going to manifest. But I don't want to rush it. If there's one thing you get out of the message today, we're going to take our time with this thing. It doesn't mean I'm going to preach on culture for the next 16 years. I'm not saying that. Um, uh, Rob's never preached on culture. So it's actually not the main important thing. But in order to build this culture, we're going to take our time. We're going to take a breath. We're going to enjoy the journey. We're not going to rush it. And we're not going to push push, uh, and drive beyond where God's going. We're going to take a time. And I'm announcing that to you, City Church, so that for whatever groups that you lead and whatever arenas that you have influence, that also you feel that freshness, you feel that freedom, that you don't feel like you're driven. We're talking about 24 throne zones. We're talking about multi-campuses. We're talking about science, wonders, miracles. Beautiful. We want all of that. But we're not going to get to that by aiming for that. We're going to get to that because we aim for a healthy culture. And as we build that culture, those things will manifest easily, effortlessly, and they will carry us. They will not be things that we hate. 
So I want to encourage you. Final closing. <laughs> I want to encourage you. Don't be someone in the crowd. Don't be someone who goes, yes, 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 well done, City Church, well done, and just eating your chips and drinking your beer whilst you watch others compete, whilst you watch others uh, 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 try and work this thing out and play the game. Make sure that you, you come into the center of the game, that you're part of the game. And that doesn't mean on a Sunday morning you have to have the mic. What I mean is come on the journey as a team. So whether it's your business or your, or your job or your, your relationship, that you come together on this thing. When we do notes on healing, that you read the notes and you, and you invest your time and you attend the home group and you talk about the thing and you come on the journey. One of the most destructive things for a marriage outside of an affair is when the husband has a, an interest and the woman has a, uh, the wife has an interest and they're in the dof, different directions and they never come back and celebrate each other's interests and they just slowly drift apart and then you get this division and eventually it ends in divorce. We've got to come on this journey together. And as we do that, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be beautiful and it will not be a hard work. It will not be an effort. And uh, I pray that that blesses you and inspires you that you don't ask the question what do i have to do what i have to do what do you have to do you just ask the question god what am i what do i have to be what do i have to be and as you be that's culture that's the answer it's easy and just take your time to focus on covenant take your time to think about how god sees you it's one of the most wonderful messages i ever heard rob speak was God's wonderful thoughts about, I cried, I cried for hours. <laughs> God's wonderful thoughts about me. It was just such a beautiful thing. And it revolutionized my life. My whole life was turned upside down from that one thought. God's wonderful thoughts about you. And as, as I looked at that covenant and as I, and I heard the grace message, and I heard, okay, stop doing all this other stuff. Stop listening to this other stuff. Go on a grace diet. Just do this. As I did that, it changed everything. And every now and again, I go back to my old ways where I try and add more, add more things and do more things. And God lovingly says, Sean, what are you doing? Stop that nonsense. Give that up. Just come back to me. Come back to my arms. Come back to my, <laughs> my loving thoughts about you, what I think about you. And when I do that, I feel free, freedom. I feel rest. I feel like he's, he's part of my family, like, I'm, like he's my father. I feel such faith rise up. And then I feel like I can actually build the kingdom. Next week, City Church, I can't wait to see you. It's going to be fantastic. Have a great week.